We are in the third week of a series that we are calling Word. And uh, the goal of this series is really to invite each one of us to take the next step in what it means to learn, to live, and to love the Word of God. Because that's what Jesus' followers do. One of the primary markers of being a follower of Jesus, one of the primary markers of being a disciple of Jesus is the fact that you are growing to learn, love, and live his word. Jesus says, my disciples obey everything that I have commanded them in my word. And so, I don't know where you are in your journey. But our hope is that through this series and after this series, you would be able to say that I know the word of God better than I did last year. You'd be able to say, I love the word of God more than I did a year ago. And you will certainly be able to say, I am living it just a little bit more consistently than I did a year ago. And so our prayer is that through this series, that would awaken in us and we would start to take steps in that general Direction. And so in this series, we're just looking at the different invitations of Scripture. Um, frankly, some of the different beautiful reasons why we want to lean into the Word of God as disciples. If you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Um, This morning, Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a copy, the verses will appear on the screen. And uh, if you're joining us remotely or you're watching this later, the verses will show up there um, on your screen as well. Um, We are going to read a chunk of scripture. And as always, we're going to have a little bit of whiplash as we stop um, and make observations as we go along. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse number 33. Here's what it says. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Um, all right, let me give a little bit of context so we understand who they is and what Jerusalem is um, and all, all of what's happening um, so far. And let me do that by way of giving you a, a quick summary of the events of Easter weekend. Right, So Good Friday, as we know it, uh, Jesus Christ is unjustly executed on a cross by the religious authorities and the political powers that be. Um, when Jesus is apprehended, his closest followers and disciples, they freak out, they panic and they run. And now they're living in deep hiding for fear that what happened to Jesus might happen to them on account of their association to the person of Jesus. But not only are they living in fear and hiding, but they are living in, with a sense of depression because uh, their, their dear friend is dead. And as far as they're concerned, never to be seen again. That's depressing. And on top of that, the hope that he would be the one who would rescue them from oppression, that hope is now dashed. So they're tucked away hiding. Unbeknownst to them, two days later, um, Jesus Christ voluntarily breaks up with death. It's just something that he did. Oh, and by the way, on Good Friday, let's just kill the noise so it's clear. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of his people. They didn't do it to him. He did it for us. But anyway, so Easter Sunday, Jesus just unshackles himself from death, gets up and walks out of the grave. And then he starts to strategically make appearances to his people to help convince them that what he said was true, to help remind them that he meant it when he said, death can't hold me long, BRB. It's a great Easter sermon, isn't it? Be right back. Right? And so first of all, he chooses to show himself to the women of the group. Why? I don't know. Because it's smart. I don't know. Um, So the women go and tell the men, like, Jesus is alive. And he just showed himself to us. They're like, "Uh, I don't think so. They don't buy it. And so Jesus strategically shows himself to a couple of these men on Sunday, sometime in the middle of 
the day. Flash forward a few hours. Now it's evening and there are two unnamed individuals. They are walking from Jerusalem uh, to a town called Emmaus. And as they're doing that, they're just wrestling with all of the events of the past week and just struggling with what happened and in total disbelief that their friend Jesus is gone. Their leader is taken from them. Their hope is dashed and they're shaking their heads. And while they're reeling in the events of Easter weekend, Jesus shows up. And he starts walking with them towards Emmaus. <laughs> but they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. And so Jesus asks them, what y'all talking about? And I can imagine they roll their eyes like, are you from out of town, out of space? Like, what else could we possibly be talking about except the events of this past weekend and what happened to the person of Jesus? Haven't you heard? Jesus is like, pray tell. So they tell Jesus the Easter story. Um, When they're done, Jesus says, all right, let me take it from there. And it says that he leads them in this impromptu Bible study, telling them the rest of the story, showing them that from the beginning of the Bible, what happened this past weekend was always the plan. The Bible study is so enthralling to them that these guys, they decide like, hey, we should invite this profoundly deep stranger to come to our house for dinner and to spend the night with us. They still have no idea it's undercover boss, right? And so they take Jesus. Jesus goes to their home. They don't know who he is until Jesus takes bread and breaks it at dinner. Just like he had a couple of nights ago at the last supper. And the moment he breaks the bread, they recognize him. <gasps> it's cheap. He's gone. And they're gone too. Like we've got to go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody what. Well, I don't need to tell you. You saw it. It's right here in the Bible. It says in verse 33, look at the rest of the verse, right? It says, they got up, those two dudes, and returned at once to Jerusalem. And they found the 11, the disciples, and the rest of the group assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, who is Peter, right? So they get there and everyone's already doing what these two individuals showed up to do. They're exchanging Jesus encounter stories with each other to help convince each other he did it. I think he's actually alive. Verse 35, then the two told What had happened on the way to Emmaus, that is, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We saw him too. Peter, you saw him. Ladies, you saw him. We saw him too. He he walked with us. He, He talked with us. He told us we were his own. That's an old Sunday school joke. You have to have grown up in the church. Um. And our souls burned within us. And then he came to our home. And then he broke the bread. And we're like, boom, it's Jesus. It made sense to us. This is so awesome. It happened to you guys as well. And then verse 36. While these two were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace. Be with you. Oh man, the Bible is so great. Because I picture these guys like, yeah. So he was walking with us. And then we went to dinner. And then, oh man. And he broke the bread. And we're like, whoa. Is he... He's right behind us, isn't he? Right? <laughs> he just, just shows up. Yeah, guys. He, I, I, uh, maybe. Watch what happens. This is just amazing. Jesus appears out of thin air for All of them to see. Verse 37. They were startled. Freaked out. They were frightened. Thinking they saw. A ghost. The Bible is the best. This is hilarious to me. I know I'm not reading this wrong. But that's why y'all are here to tell me if I am. That's really not why you're here. So don't get carried away with all that. Um. This is hilarious to me. Oh man, I saw him. 
You, you did? I saw him too. Well, I saw him first. Well, I saw him more. Well, I saw him. Well, we saw him. Well, he walked with us. Well, we ate with him. Well, he broke the bread. And it's like, boom. Well, I saw him earlier. And I was like, what's up, Jay? And he was like, what's up? And then I saw him. And, and then Jesus shows up. And they're like, ah! What is that? <laughs> this is the best. I think it's a ghost. Ah! They start absolutely freaking out. This is hilarious. I don't know how you read the Bible, but clearly not as excitingly as I read the Bible. Oh my word, this is hilarious. They're so busy just talking about me. Jesus, I saw him. Did you see me? I want to see him. Did he? And then he shows up. They freak out. It's a ghost. By the way, I find it super odd that the people who walked with him for three years... Don't recognize him as he's standing in a room with them. I find it even a tad odder that the dudes who just walked with him and had a Bible study with him and had dinner with him don't recognize him while they're testifying about seeing him. They're freaking out. This is amazing to me. This is so intriguing to me. Um, now, I was finding this, you know, entertaining. And then I was like, man, but I, I kind of fear this for us. You know, because um, we talk about, ooh, I love Jesus. Man, I love Jesus too. Yeah, matter of fact, man, I was just praising Jesus the, the other day in my closet. It was awesome. You know, yeah, you know, this week I've just been walking with Jesus and, and talking with him. Jesus is the best. I love him. And I'm like, for real? Like, what if he showed up right now? Just ask him. What if he showed up right now? I have a feeling we would be like, ah! Who are you? What, what are you even doing here at church? Jesus. I wonder, would you even recognize him? I wonder if he wouldn't feel like an interruption in a service that's designed to be all about him. I wonder, what if he showed up? I wonder, wouldn't the guest of honor feel like a ghost in his own meeting? Ah, Jesus, what are you doing in your house? I just wonder. I just, it just had me wondering. Like, is all of our studying and all of our singing and all of our preaching and all of our talking about Jesus really about Jesus? Really about an encounter with Jesus? Do we actually hope he shows up? Or would his showing up be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We were just talking about you. No one was interested in you actually showing up. Matter of fact, is it you? Who are you? We spent so much talking, time talking about you. We don't even know if we know who you are. He said to them, verse 38, why are you troubled? Why are you shocked? Why do doubts rise in your minds? I'm sorry. Isn't this what y'all wanted? Isn't this what y'all were just testifying about? Well, here I am. Why is this so troubling? To you. And why are you struggling to believe that I've risen from the dead? Why do you doubt that I have done exactly what I said I would do? Why all the doubt? By the way, I wonder if you have any doubts about who Jesus says he is and what he claims to have done in his word in the Bible. I wonder if you have any skepticism. I wonder if you have any uncertainty. 
I wonder if you would say in a very safe space, like, listen, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know about all of this. I wonder if you would say, if you knew no one would judge you, that, hey, you know, if this wouldn't devastate my family, I would have probably walked away by now. I have so many questions. This whole Jesus thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense, doesn't jive with me. I just wonder if you have any doubts. Oh, by the way, if you do have any doubts, by the way, and you're willing to acknowledge them, you need to know you would have gotten along royally with the founders of the church. You would have gotten along brilliantly with Jesus' first and closest followers. Someone just needs to know that because they doubt it. And when Jesus sees their doubt, boy, he gets fired up. And he says, I'll tell you what. Verse 39. Uh, Look at my hands and my feet. For real, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. I don't know if you heard, by the way, a man runs the universe. Flesh and bones. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is amazing to me. Look, does a ghost have flesh? I do. Bones? I do. And when he had said this, he showed them. His hands and his feet. Ooh, I wish I'd have seen this verse growing up in a Christian home, growing up in the church, and somebody needs to see this and become convinced. Jesus' response to your doubt is not indictment, it's invitation. A goal. Come take a closer look then. Come on, get closer. I mean, I'm standing in your presence and clearly show and tell hasn't worked. So how about come and touch? This is amazing to me. I want you to know I am who you say I am. Come take a good look. I think we as a church need to talk a little bit more about how tenderly Jesus deals with our doubts. Especially when it's the doubt of desire, not the doubt of disregard. When it's a doubt that says, I want to know, I want to believe, I'm just struggling, things just don't make sense to me, I want to. But man, what happened to me when I was a kid, or what happened to my family, or the things that happened around me, I'm struggling. And as I read the Bible, it just doesn't reconcile, it doesn't jive, trust me, I want to. I just don't know that I can bring myself to quite believing. That's a doubt of desire. Doubt of disregard is like, that's not doubt. You're just trying to find any excuse to break away so you can do you. That's not what this is. And I love Jesus' response to doubt. Oh, come closer. See for yourself. Touch my scars. We need to stop treating doubt like a disease. I mean, you read the stories. Doubting Thomas. Yeah, and he touched Jesus' wounds. Have you? Doubting Thomas. And the reward for that was a personal visit from Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if any of them actually took Jesus up on it this time. If anyone actually touched his scars as he stood in their presence, inviting them to taste and see I don't know if any of them took him up on it. But what I do know is these suckers, man, their response to this is like, yeah, I don't know. What? 
I'm not convinced. Even after all of this, they are still doubting. Look, verse 41. And while they still did not believe, because they're freaking out and they're overjoyed and they're amazed and they're overwhelmed. Jesus asked them, do you have anything here to eat? By the way, this scene is so powerful. Um, Because of how many times I have said. If Jesus would just show up in this one miraculous and incredible way. My doubt would be gone and I would believe him. I would trust him. If Jesus would just have shown up in in, in that season of my life in the way I needed him. When I needed him I would have laid my life down. I'd be like an international minute missionary or something like this right I would have by now just been living recklessly for him if he had just done that one epic thing I needed him to do when I needed him to do it if Jesus would have just done that one thing or showed up in this one epic and incredible and miraculous way I would by now be on five false If you're still living with that narrative that says if Jesus would have just done something different, I wouldn't be so bitter towards the church right now. Mm. False. I believe in him right now. Like, false. I'd be more into the whole church thing, right? False. And I'm inviting you to release that. It is based on a lie. It would not have done, that epic, miraculous experience would not have done for your faith what you think it would have. I'm just asking, what more could you possibly want than Jesus in front of you telling you, it's me. And showing you his three-day-old scars and inviting you to come and touch them. Hours after he walked with you for hours in an impromptu Bible study and broke bread in your house. After he had risen from the dead. And you're still like. "Mm." I'm just telling you. Miraculous experiences and proof are overrated. They are not going to do what you think they are going to. To do. It is not going to somehow heal your doubt. It's not going to somehow you know, fix you so that you never have questions. You never have these deep disappointments. Again, I'm telling you, Jesus could part the sea and cause bread to fall down from the sky. And you would find a reason to complain the next day. And if you don't believe it, just read the book of Exodus. Moses, that's it. We're done. God has abandoned us. But isn't that a pillar of fire? Like right, not there, there, or there, but right there. Yeah, but still. It trips me out. I was just reading the other day how the Israelites built a golden calf. Because Moses was taking too long. And so they just needed a new God. I'm like, that's really funny because it's literally thundering on the mountain with a cloud covering it with the presence of God. And y'all built an idol? I don't know what you think it would take to just shut down all your doubt. But this obsession we often have, if God would just do this one thing, it's not true. If he had just shown up this way when I was a kid. No. It's not true. So then what's the solution? I don't know. I don't get paid for that. Here we go. Um, Luke chapter 24. Verse 42. It says they gave him, Jesus, a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. How patient is Jesus with us? He's telling them, let, okay. Uh, 
I'm not sure what else I can do. So I'm going to leave now. No, he said, um, all right, give me something to eat. Um, let me demonstrate that I'm not a ghost. Because again, if I were a ghost, could a ghost do this? And he eats. This is a trip. Because how many of you know the resurrected Jesus ain't hungry? He's not carb loading, looking for a little protein boost. No. He's trying to show them another way that he is who he says he is. Eat some fish. And then he taught them a little bit from the Bible. This is a trip. Verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. How many times have I said this? He's so patient. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. By the way, this is the same Bible study he gave those two guys a few hours ago. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. Everything said about me in the Old Testament, which was the entire Bible for them at that point, must be fulfilled. Everything the Bible has been saying about me must be fulfilled. Matter of fact, it's being fulfilled in front of your eyes. And then verse 45, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And then he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, the Holy Spirit that is, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This is an awesome scene, by the way. The lights finally come on. This group of disciples finally get it. That the Bible has been screaming my gospel message and has been screaming my gospel mission from the very beginning. They get it. Of course I've risen from the dead. The scriptures said I would. Of course I'm standing in front of you victoriously alive. The scriptures said I would. They finally got it. And oh, this whole thing you're doing, exchanging Jesus encounter stories in the safety of the space behind closed walls is not going to cut it. Because it's now on you to carry on the message. It's now on you to carry on my mission. Woo! Lights come on and they finally Get it. Jesus says, matter of fact, I will send you holy reinforcements in my spirit and he will clothe you with power so that you can carry my hope and my light to the broken and dying world around you. They finally got it in that moment. They believed Jesus was who he said he was and had done what he said he would do. And they began to brace for the mission. They got it. But man, I read this and I'm like, I, st I still couldn't help but be a little thrown by the fact that Jesus ends this epic experience with a Bible study. A boring Bible study. Does that not seem anticlimactic to anyone else? It did to me. Like the resurrected Savior is standing in the room, literally inviting people to come and touch his soul-saving scars, gnawing on some tuna, 
Listen, I don't know what they caught in the fish of, in the Sea of Galilee. But here is Jesus standing in your very presence. I feel like that is the epitome of all possible experiences. Pray and go home. Jesus is like, no, before we do, let's open the word. The word feels like it's kind of a downer right now. But yet not to Jesus. Before we dismiss, let's get into the word a little bit. Because I want you to see that the Bible has been screaming my gospel mission and message from the very beginning. I want you to see it. That what you are seeing and what you are experiencing right now is a fulfillment of what the Bible has been expressing to y'all for centuries. And they finally got it. That I would die and I would rise again. Just like the scriptures said. To offer forgiveness to the world. Just as the scriptures said. This was a powerful realization as I'm reading this. That Jesus completely refuses to separate himself from God's word. After this epic encounter, what Jesus wants them to know is, listen, y'all, the word has been revealing me the whole time. And now I've come to fulfill what the word revealed about me. And then I'm going to point you back to the word that reveals me. And then I fulfill what the word reveals about me. And then the word reveals me. And then I fulfill what the word reveals about me. And there's this beautiful inseparable connection Jesus makes between himself and the word of the living God. And I just want to say, let us never dare separate the person of Jesus from his word. He didn't. I saw this and it struck me. Come on church, we can never be a movement of people who ever say anything like, we love Jesus, but we're okay about his word. No. We cannot be just eh, about the word that reveals Jesus who fulfills the word. It is not anticlimactic that Jesus ended this epic encounter with the word of God. Those two are intrinsically connected. Me to my word, my word to me. We cannot ever be a movement of people who say, listen, we live for Jesus. But we're not growing to love his word that reveals him and his mission to us. No, they're inseparable. We cannot say, well, I just pray and talk to Jesus, but I don't sit in his word. What? From the beginning, this has been designed to reveal me. I just want to see and experience Jesus. I found it striking. Jesus is literally standing in front of them. I'm like, game over. Do you know the humbling thing? (laughs) If I ever said like, man, Jesus came into my room and he was talking to me. Woo! Got to testify at a, a personal encounter with Jesus. Do you know one of the questions Jesus might ask? Show me in my word. Jesus even makes the experience with him. At some level, it needs to be verified. I'm telling you, you've got to know. Whatever you experience of me is going to be validated by my word. This is such a striking thing because I'm telling you, I'm the person who I want to have these epic encounters and experiences with Jesus. But I'm like, with his word. And yet it is his word that is going to have a way of authenticating every experience I have. 
I'm just telling you, be suspicious of the most epic experiences if they're not authenticated by the word of God, which Jesus did. I've got to authenticate what y'all are experiencing with what's been written in my word. We cannot be a movement that says we're all about Jesus and be like, eh, 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 about his word. You cannot be a person who says, I want to grow to love Jesus and live for him, but you spend no time in this book. Those two things cannot be separated, y'all. This isn't just a cute little series we're doing because you know the word of God. No. A movement that's obsessed with Jesus is going to grow obsessed with a book that reveals him. Because then he fulfills what's revealed. And he points back to the book that reveals him. And then he fulfills it. And on and on it goes. I wonder what kind of church we want to be. Okay, but that's not even... The thing I really wanted us to see as we close. One more thing. Did you see this? Verse 45. This may feel like we took a step back. But I trust it's a catapulting experience. Forward. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That just jolted me. Like that's it. Right there. It's revelation. Church, it takes revelation. We need revelation. If we are going to get it, if the lights are going to come on in a way that changes the way we see Jesus and live for him, something heavenly has to happen to us. He opened their minds and they got it. Oh, so the word's been revealing you and you've been fulfilling the word. We see it now because he Opened their minds. Revelation. There is a famine. Of revelation. In the church of Jesus Christ. There is a famine of revelation. In my life. I've become so educated. In the word of God. That I begin to believe. Like as long as I can. I can read it. No. Revelation. In fact, I want to put a few knots on the screen so we can work these knots out of our system. Knot number one, it's not about proximity. He doesn't, it's not proximity, y'all. It's revelation. Three years, these people walked closely with the person of Jesus Christ. Three years, and they still didn't get it. He's literally standing in their room. They are looking at him and they still don't get it. Until he opens their minds. Revelation. It takes something more than we have in and of ourselves. It's not proximity y'all. That's why you know people who have hung around Jesus. And hang around Jesus people for years and years and years. And they look nothing like him. They do not live any more radically for him. Because they may have believed that showing up at church and being in proximity to Jesus and his word and his people is somehow going to transform them by osmosis. It's not proximity, it's revelation. These people were near Jesus a lot. And they're like, I don't know. They are hiding in a room and would have likely stayed in hiding until and it's not comprehension um, these two guys who are testifying they had a walking bible study with Jesus it's not comprehension um Nothing against seminary, 
But these guys had Bible lessons from Jesus for three years. That's a program I would like to be enrolled in. (laughs) The disciples, by the way, understood the Bible better than you and I understand the Bible. If nothing else, because Jesus was teaching them for three years. They understood what it said, but they didn't get it. They may have had sections memorized, but they didn't get it. That required revelation. Then he opened their minds. And they were like, Jesus, word, word, Jesus, fulfilled what we see it. This struck me. Again, nothing about, again, seminary. I went. I'd encourage some of you to go. I'd definitely encourage some of you not to. Um, But at the end of the day, it's not so much about how well I can parse verses and tell you the historical context for something. It's revelation. I understand what the Bible says. But something needs to happen for me to get what the Bible means. It's definitely not experience. Man, if this passage of scripture teaches us anything. I mean, you think your doubt will die if Jesus performs that miracle, right? No. Again, keep in mind, these guys are staring at the face of the risen Savior who just appeared out of thin air. Eating some sushi. And they still. They're like. "Eh, I don't know. I just wonder what you think might cure you. What experience you think might just be the one. That makes you a radical Christian. Who now lives like crazy. For the person of Jesus Christ. It's not some experience. It's not Jesus healing your family. Of that generational condition. It's not, you know, your parents became less jerkish all of a sudden and like, oh man, now I'm going to. It's not an experience. And some of us have been holding out for an experience for Jesus to do. You know, no, it's, it's this, it's the revelation he brings. Open my mind to your word. And it's definitely not preaching. Oh man, there can be an obsession with preachers. Tell us, reveal to us the power locked within these words. No, at the the most you can be like, I've never thought about that before. I liked how we connected those things. And then he even said tuna and sushi like that was really cute. Cute will not transform you. Cute would not make your life more radically abandoned to the person of Jesus Christ. Which is why so many people have come to church for years and years and years and years. And they've given us different grades. Like, yeah, it was an A today. I don't get out of bed for any less than an 8.5, right? Well, good for you. Is your life more radically abandoned to the person of Jesus Christ? It is not ultimately about... The, the preacher or preaching. And man, I've learned this and I still don't believe because I think I'm so much more important than I really am. It's amazing. Sometimes I'll walk off of this stage and I'm like, oh my word, that was the worst. I blew it. And I'll get backstage and somebody's waiting for me. That spoke so deeply to my soul when you said this. And I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. And it definitely was not in my notes. All the time I spent preparing God. And you spoke to them through something I didn't even mean to say. (laughs) It's not the preacher. Now preaching is an important component of what it means to be a church and a growing church. But I pray that whoever gets up here and preaches will continue to point you back to the word. And to the person it reveals and invite you to beg him to give you revelation. 
Boy, we want to raise up a movement of people who love his Bible. Um, and that's going to happen as we continue to be a people that are begging for a revelation that we do not have in and of ourselves. And if we're not careful, we're going to mistake understanding what it says for being transformed by what he's speaking through it. Give us revelation. Come on, every time you come to this book, And you open its pages and you start to read. Can I just encourage you to start with a prayer? Give me revelation. Help me to see what you want me to see. Particularly about the person of Jesus as I read these words. I'll tell you about it. I shared with our staff. But two weeks ago I was joking about reading, you know, about the the priest's robes and all the boring details. And I'm like, one day I'll, I think it was like four days later, he gave me revelation. About the priest's garments. I was walking up and down my street reading. And I'm like. Oh. oh, Thank you. Okay. I want to do so much better at coming to his word. And just begging him. Give me revelation in a section of scripture. That I'm like that's completely uninteresting to me. And yet you. Can still choose. To speak. Through it. Every time you come into this room, into these services, ask for revelation. Jesus, as we sing your word in these songs, reveal yourself. As we listen to whoever happens to be up there talking about whatever it is, reveal yourself. And as I'm reading a passage of scripture, maybe I'm reading ahead from what they're preaching, reveal yourself to me. Make that a habit. Every time you come into this room, pray for revelation. That Jesus would make something known to you as you go to Pastor Jeff's class on on how to study the Bible. Because it is critical that we learn how to understand the Bible. And then once we do, say, set fire to this thing so that I would get it. But even in that, ultimately we're praying. Revelation. As you walk onto or drive onto the new property, come on, just declare that place of, a place of revelation. Like God, reveal yourself to us in powerful and beautiful ways in this space. And for those of you who might be struggling with doubt, <laughs> I don't know anything else in the Bible that I've seen to bring cure to that except revelation. I don't, I don't know. Like these guys were doubting one minute and then Jesus opened their minds and they got it. And so I'd say if you're struggling with that at a minimum, just pray, give me revelation for these places where I feel tense and torn. Reveal yourself to me in these spaces. He loves to make himself known. As we ask him to. We're going to take communion here. And um, man. Communion is this. As Emily shared. This reminder. Of what Jesus has done. We're going to eat bread. Which is a reminder of his body broken. For us. And we're going to drink. um, From the cup. That juice is a reminder of the blood of Jesus. Which cleanses us of our sins. And from the beginning of the scriptures. All of it has been pointing to this redemptive. Act of the person of Jesus. But even as we take communion. As we've been commanded to do in the scripture. I pray that you would ask him. For a revelation. Because this is actually designed to remind us. And to re-reveal Jesus to us. I don't want it to just be something I do because it's communion. I want it to be something through which he reveals himself afresh. And so here in a moment, I'm going to ask you that even as we take communion, ask him, would you reveal yourself afresh to me? Would you remind me of who you are? And if you've never come to know Jesus, that you would see him in this moment, that you might be willing to pray, reveal yourself to me so that I would know your forgiveness maybe for the very first time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Here's what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, just like he did with those guys in Emmaus. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're about to remember Jesus in this unique way. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, come on, and you drink this cup, you make a proclamation. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're about to testify. We're about to talk about him. But come on, we don't want to just testify about him. We we want to see him afresh, to believe him afresh, to love him afresh. And so I'm going to give you like 20 seconds. I'm not timing it. You can time it yourself. Um, To just ask him, reveal yourself to me even in communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to just hold off on taking communion But you can still pray along with the rest of us. Reveal yourself to me. Do you believe he loves to reveal himself? If there's any hunger in you, ask him for revelation. If there's any doubt in you, ask him for revelation. If there's any heartache in you, ask him for revelation. As we remember his sacrifice in the gospel, ask him to re-reveal this to you or maybe for the very first time. So why don't we take 20 seconds and just pray for him to reveal himself to us. Jesus, we pray that you would make yourself known to us afresh. Open our minds in ways that we cannot do for ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And um, while you're praying, please pray that I would successfully open this thing here. This This always feels like a test I cannot pass. So as we eat this breadish substance, let's declare, let's proclaim together these words. Your body was broken for me. Come on, let's shout that out loud. Your body was broken for me. Let's eat. And as we drink this cup, Picture of the blood that cleansed us. Come on. Let's make the declaration. Your blood was shed for me. Let's say that together. Your blood was shed for me. Let's drink. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Reveal yourself to us afresh. Continue to reveal yourself to us in your word, in a way that transforms us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.